Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Jason McGay. Let it in, let it in. 
Come on. There it goes. There it goes. There it goes. No more hurt. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. All right, here we go. Down to business. It's my honor to be able to deliver the word to you this morning. And uh, without any more preliminaries, let's get right into it, shall we? Let's get into Isaiah 59. Now, who knows the scripture that goes something like, when the enemy comes in like a flood, what is it? The Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him, right? You all know that verse? I only heard like a few people quoting it, but I'm assuming it's more popular than that because people quote that verse a lot. Would you like to see that verse in its setting? All right, let's do that. So let's look at Isaiah 59, and we're going to look at verse 15. We're going to start in verse 15, the second half of verse 15. Now, just for some context, this verse, uh, the second half of verse 15, comes after he begins to talk about the prophet is prophesying here, and he's describing a situation that's very bleak. He's describing things like, we stumble at noonday as in the night. Among those who are vigorous, we are as dead men. Uh, we roar like bears and mourn sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. That is the tone in which these next verses follow. It is the answer for those circumstances that he's describing. I mean, look at that. I mean, if you just go back for a few minutes, I mean, it's all good, but let's take a moment here and look at verse 9. It says, therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We wait for light, but there is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. This is the condition of spiritual darkness. This is the condition of people in sin. This is the condition of people in bondage. That's what this looks like. This is very good, apt, fitting description of struggling with sin or struggling with problems or w being in a place where you don't know how to get out of it, where things seem to be crowding in around you and you can't figure out how to get free from it. These are good descriptions of that sort of scenario. But look, these are people that are looking for justice and they're not seeing anything. They're looking for salvation, but nothing seems to come. If you think about the world around you, you have a lot of people trying to fight for justice in a world where there seems to be none. People complain about corruption all the time. They complain about the situations going on around them. It is just one disaster after another, one struggle. Nation rising up against nation, as the Bible says, right? That's the condition of the world that we live in. They look for salvation but find none. They look for an answer but find none. That is the situation that the, of the world in which we are living. Now, we're not of the world, thank God, but we're living in it. So we contend with these things on a regular basis. So let's continue down to verse 15b. Then the Lord saw it. So it's not as if he doesn't see what's going on. I mean, that's what the Bible says right there, right? Then the Lord saw it. And it displeased him. He wasn't happy with that. He wasn't happy with that at all. He saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no intercessor. And that's what he's referring to, in his intercessor. 
So who knows what the definition of an intercessor is? Someone who stands in the gap between two. What does that mean? Come on. Pardon? Your emissary. Okay, kind of like an ambassador. Yeah, that's a good one. It makes up the difference, okay? Yeah. Have you ever been in high school and you had two good friends and they got into an argument with each other? And they didn't see eye to eye? And they're both your good friends? And they're fighting, so you decide to step in the middle of it? And get in between them and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what that person is saying, and this is what the other person is saying, and you're not seeing this right, and you're not seeing that right, and you're mediating between the two. You're interceding. There is a gap between two people. There's an argument, a rift between two people, and the intercessor stands in the gap between the two. So the Lord is looking and seeing there is this gap. And he can't seem to find an intercessor on behalf of himself and mankind. Let's continue on. Second half of verse 16. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation to him. And his righteousness sustained him. He was looking for someone to represent mankind and didn't find anyone to plead on behalf of the wicked world around them. So he himself worked salvation. He himself is the, he is the one who initiated that. There was no one pleading the case of mankind, so he did it. His own arm brought salvation. His righteousness sustained him. Now let's take a look at this description of what that looks like. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will make recompense. Verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. Now, here's the verse that we quote. When the enemy comes in, shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So he's describing the scenario where everything outside looks bleak and dismal. And when it, that scenario seems to press in against you or pressing in around you, it says, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against. So put a stop to it. It really means to make a way of escape from those things. Verse 20. The Redeemer shall come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Now, he's talking about you. You're a part of Zion, the city of God. That's talking about you. Have you turned from your transgressions? Yes, you have. So... The Redeemer comes to you. Hallelujah. As for me, now this is the Lord speaking. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your descendants, nor out of the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. 
So there is hope for your kids and your grandkids Amen. and your great-grandkids. This is the covenant that we are in. Okay, so I wanted you to see a little description of who the Lord is here as our Redeemer, as the one who fights for us, as the one who has delivered us and set us free. Hallelujah. He did it. His own arm, his strength worked salvation for us. Hallelujah. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. He did that. He put on helmet of salvation on his head. See, our Lord is a warrior. Hallelujah. He did that. And he did that for us. This is the one in whom we are to be strong. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 10 with me. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says this, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, if that all is all you heard today, that will do you good for a really long time. Amen. Be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your understanding. It doesn't even say be strong in your understanding of the Lord. It says be strong in the Lord. So at some point in time to be strong in the Lord, you're going to have to depend on him. And not on yourself. So I, I give this example at discipleship class sometimes in regards to what it means to be strong in someone. And the example that I give is an accounting example. Because I am not strong in accounting. Accounting is a weak spot of mine in the world of business education. Accounting is just not my thing. I... The numbers are like, why do you put this here and? It's called double entry for some reason. I'm like, I don't understand. You're just moving numbers around arbitrarily. Like, I don't get this. How is that number over here? And then you got to put it up. Why are you putting it over there? You're just like writing numbers in as you go along. I don't, that has to balance. And I'm just like, so what? Accounting. It makes zero, it's like very difficult. However, I talk like that, but it shows that I'm weak in accounting. <laughs> However, there is one in our midst who is not weak in accounting, who is an accountant. So he is strong in accounting. These things make perfectly good sense to him. In fact, he doesn't just understand it. He can give you advice on how to do certain things with your finances that will benefit you because he understands accounting very well. So he is strong in accounting. Now, the Lord is not calling me to be strong in accounting. <laughs> However, I can be strong in Pastor Neil, who is an accountant. 
What does that look like? It, when tax time comes, I call up Pastor Neil on the phone and I say, help me, Pastor Neil. I have taxes I need to do. I have a situation I have to deal with. I have a circumstance that I have to deal with. So I call him up on the phone. I call upon the name of Pastor Neil. And I hand over my financial situation to him. That's right, I surrender all. He asks me for, do you have receipts for this? And I dump the big box of receipts out on the table. It is my mess that he is going to rectify and clarify and fix for me. But I am handing the control, I'm handing the control of it over to him. I'm handing it over to him. Because I recognize I'm not good at this. And if I want a good result, I need to go to the one who is able to deliver a good result. So I go to Pastor Neil and I say, please, take my financial records and make sense of them. And do something with them so that I can get a return at the end. (laughs) Right? But I have to trust in his ability to do the job right. Because not all accountants are equal. Right? I have to trust and rely that he knows what he's doing when it comes to accounting. So if I'm going to be strong in Pastor Neil, I have to totally depend on his ability and willingness to get the job done. I have to let go of my things and put them in his hands so that he can do with it what he said he's going to do with it. And not hoping and wishing and calling him every five minutes on the phone asking him how it's going. I actually have to trust that while there's silence on the other end of the line, he's working. Hallelujah. This is how you are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. At some point in time, you've got to turn yourself over to him and trust that he's working on your behalf and he's well able to come through for you. Where you're not relying on yourself, but you are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power to get the job done. Strong in him. It is the wonderful thing that the Lord has done for us in the New Testament because I'm telling you, it levels the playing field. It doesn't matter how strong you are in yourself, how weak you are in yourself. It makes zero difference at all because all you need to do is trust and rely in him and in his strength. And he is no respecter of persons. So just as he is strong for one, he will be strong for another. No respecter of persons. We can all be strong in the Lord. That means there is no weakness too great for his strength. There isn't. 
There's no situation that he doesn't have an answer for. The only thing you need to know is what is his will in the matter? That's the only thing you need to know. If you don't know what he's going to do, how can you trust him to do it? As much as you want something that is good, it is not your will that gets the job done. As much as you want salvation and deliverance and freedom, it isn't your will that produces the result. Otherwise, you would have got yourself out of that mess a long time ago. It's not your will that gets the job done. It's his will that does. He looked around. There was no man, no intercessor. So he did it himself because he wanted it that way. He wanted salvation to be available. He wanted deliverance for you. So he did it. So when you go to God in prayer, which is bigger in your heart and mind? Your desire for freedom, deliverance, healing, Whatever you know in the word is a promise to you or a fact unto you. Do you see that when you pray? Or do you see his willingness to deliver it? Let's say, for example, I'm in need of healing. I want healing. And I know that the Bible says, by his stripes, ye were healed. You know that verse? Yes, Yes, amen. You know it's the will of the Lord to heal, but when you go to prayer, I'm just going to pray like this as an example. And you say, Lord, I know it's your will to heal me. Lord, I really want to be healed. Lord, I'm quoting these verses because I know that it's your will to heal me. And I really want to be healed. Lord, please heal me. Lord, I know it's your will to heal me. Thank you for healing me. Now, some of that sounds okay. And what you can't see, what I'm, what, what I'm saying on the inside, you don't see where it's coming from. You might be able to hear it. But if you're looking just at the words, you might not necessarily pick it all out. But in a situation like that, I'm still thinking of me needing healing. I'm still expressing my desire for healing. I'm still saying, Lord, I want to be healed. And it's okay that you want to be healed. But you haven't turned it over to him as long as you're still thinking about your wanting to be healed. It's still in your hands. When you turn it over to him, you've let go of your own desire to be healed. And you've done so because you trust in his desire to heal you. You've now put confidence in his will. He will because he has. He will. And I'm going to be strong in the Lord, my healer, 
and in his mighty power to heal me and not in myself. I'm going to put my confidence completely and totally in him and totally depend on him. If he doesn't come through, I guess I'm sunk, but he will come through. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are to be a people who are strong in the Lord. It has very little to do with who you are in yourself. It has everything to do with who he is and what he does for us. Absolutely. All right. There are a few things I wanted to talk about now. That was my introduction. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because the things that I want to talk about now, it sets the context and the framework for dealing with some specific things. Are you ready? ready. I sense this trepidation in the room. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Let's take a look at a few more verses. So we got through verse 10. Let's try verse 11 now. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you look fancy and wonderful in that glowing armor. No, that's not why, though. It says, put on the whole armor of God so that you can brag about it to all your friends. Look how spiritual I am. I've got the whole armor of God on. No, that's not what that says either. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. 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 To stand against the devil. Wait, is that what that says? What does it say in there? Wiles. What are wiles? Tricks. Schemes. Are you standing against the devil? You're standing against his tricks. You know, a very weak person, if they're cunning enough, can still trick you and get their way. Even if you're stronger than them. Right? They can pull the wool over your eyes so to speak, even if they're very weak themselves. This does not say, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil. Do you know why? Because he is already defeated. Now, you didn't defeat him, but your representative did. The captain of your salvation did. The one in whom you are to be strong in did. So we are not fighting the devil. I know there's a lot of stuff out there in popular Christianity that makes it seem like we're fighting the devil. But that is shadow boxing, my friend. Do you know what shadow boxing is? What is it, Alex? You're punching the air. There's a shadow, and you're swinging at it. But you're not connecting with anything because there is nothing there. 
And if you're fighting the devil, you are shadow boxing. Because he's already defeated. However, there is a reason why you should put on the full armor of God. So that you may stand against his schemes, his tricks, his deceits. Mm -hmm. Now it goes on to tell you in verse 12, For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So no, you're not fighting against your neighbor. We are not praying against our wicked neighbor who lives beside us. Lord, smite my wicked neighbor and deliver me from that. You know, the Bible says that if a man blesses his neighbor loudly in the morning, it may be taken as a curse. Lord, deliver me from wicked neighbors that decide to blow leaves at 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. (laughs) Right outside my front yard. I'm making light of something that people do all the time, and they do it in error. They're praying against evil people, and that is wrong. We do not pray against evil people. We pray for their salvation. There's a big difference between the two. Our battle's not flesh and blood. Just think. You yourself used to be one of those who was trapped in darkness like they are. Did you save yourself? No. By the mercy and grace of God, he caused his word to come alive in you, and you realized the truth, you saw the light, and you transferred over from darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now you're of the light and not of the darkness, but it had nothing to do with anything that you did except say, yes, Lord. That's what you did. And even that you can't brag about. So... Just because they haven't reached that place yet, you want to go and call down fire from heaven on their lives? No. You do yourself an ingratitude towards God when you do that. Because you are basically not recognizing the mercy and grace he had on you when you can't have that on your neighbor. So, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the schemes of the enemy. So, let's look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day. What are you resisting? You're not resisting the... Well, there is a scripture that says resist the devil. Specifically, schemes of the devil. Okay? that you may be able to resist the devil in an evil day, and having done all, to stand. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having your waist girded with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able, 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 to to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Those fiery arrows are schemes. 
it is not the flat tire you got on the way to work. <laughs> oh man, the devil blew up my tire on the way to work this morning. That nasty devil. How many times have you heard something like that? All my co-workers this morning, they all ganged up on me. That nasty devil got those co-workers gang up on me this morning. We laugh because we've all heard it in some way or another. And the more you talk about how the devil is attacking you, the bigger he gets. It's not because he's actually that big, but you magnify him in your eyes. It's the tricks and the schemes. See, the thing is, as long as you're doing that, you're just shadow boxing, and he's got you. Because you're upset, and you're praying, Lord, stop this nasty devil that keeps harassing me with coworkers at work. And you're praying that way, and you're shadow boxing and doing nothing, and you're actually caught in the trap. Have you ever seen an animal caught in a trap when it's not dead? What does it do? It, it, it's, yeah, it's fighting. It don't want to be in that trap. Don't pray like you're in a trap. Don't pray like you're in that trap. It's all, the only thing, only good you're doing is revealing you're in a trap. Hmm. I'll take a little sip of water here. <laughs> we don't want to reveal that we're caught in a trap. We want to get out of that trap. Mm -hmm. It's the scheme of the mouse hunter that builds a better mouse trap. That's the scheme. And the mouse gets caught in the mouse trap. The enemy has schemes trying to get you caught. And if you're caught in gossip, or you're caught in slander, or you're caught blaming somebody else, you're caught by a scheme. If you're caught in unforgiveness and it creates division in the body of Christ, you're caught by a scheme. And you might be praying against all the supposed wicked forces causing these problems. But as long as you're in division and party spirit and factions, you're caught in a trap. So it doesn't do you any good to pray like that. How can you pray like How can you be effective like that? You cannot. And the devil just sits and laughs. And he's mean that way. And all the while, you're praying this and praying that and reciting your favorite scriptures and this and that. But it ain't right in here in you. Those prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling. 
And it's not because the Lord doesn't want to deliver you from those set of circumstances. But he's got to deliver you before those circumstances will be delivered. You get that? He's got to deliver you. So here's the point that I want to get to with this. You are the battleground upon which the fight goes on. It is not your circumstances that you are fighting against. It's not. A man with peace in his heart, where peace mounts a garrison over his heart and mind in Christ Jesus... Nothing can break that garrison of peace in his mind and in his heart. So circumstances don't make any difference. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. If the garrison of peace in my heart and my mind is strong, I can deal with anything that comes my way. So where is the battle then? Is it out there? No. It's all going on in here. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. So, think about for a second, how did the devil get into the position he's in anyway? What happened? So Adam and Eve are in the garden. Adam's off doing something, cleaning out the garage probably. And Eve's over there. There's the, there's the tree, and the serpent comes along. But it wasn't, just, it wasn't a serpent. It was a serpent, but it was the devil in the body of a serpent comes along and says, isn't this wonderful, this fruit? Yes, it looks wonderful, looks great, but we're not allowed to touch it or eat of it. And he just convinces her, I won't go through the whole thing, that no, it's okay. You won't die. You'll just be like God, and he doesn't want you to be like him, so it'll be okay. Isn't it good? Isn't it wonderful? It tempts her senses, and she takes of the fruit and eats it. Sin happens. Adam sees what happened. He decides to side in with his wife and says, okay, yes, I will eat of the fruit as well, and we have what we have today. How did the enemy get access? Did he just walk in there and smack them around? And Did he do that? He tricked them. He deceived them. It was a scheme. And they didn't know any differently. They fell into it. What they knew was the command of God. And they abandoned that because of the scheme. So he got in through the flesh by way of a scheme. Look, isn't it pleasing to the eye? Through the flesh. You're thinking, okay, why are you telling me this? Because the devil has no right to come into your life and just smack you around. He's got to get in through trickery. And he's going to come in through the flesh. So how do you shut the door to the devil? 
You give him no place in your flesh. Listen to me clearly. Give him no place in your flesh. The only access point he has to your life is what you give him by yielding to your flesh. That's it. The warfare that you're fighting is not anywhere except against your own flesh. Your biggest enemy is flesh. It's not even the devil. There's an analogy that I heard a preacher give one time, and it just it's so simple, and it just seems to fit so very well. And that is this. He was talking about airplanes. And airplanes, bad airplanes, circling your life, looking for a place to land. And it makes zero sense to try to shoot down the airplanes when you have a massive landing strip for them in your life. What's the solution? Get rid of the landing strip. And in your life, it makes no sense to pray for God to deliver you from all the bad things going on and say, Lord, help me with this and Lord, help me with that when you have a big landing strip for it in the way that you live and act every day. Truth? So what do I do? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So what is that armor? What is it? Well, let's read it here. Truth. Have your waist girded about with truth. They shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Know the truth. His word is truth. So if you know truth, you can detect lies pretty easily. Yes, thank you, Lord. If you know righteousness, you know what's right and what isn't right. You know your right standing with the Lord, and the enemy can't get you off of that. Right? Righteousness. The gospel of peace, ready to share the word with others. The gospel of peace. Shield of faith, quenching all the fiery darts of the enemy. Right? Faith in God, not in yourself. Faith in what he said, regardless of what circumstances look like. Helmet of salvation, knowing you're saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole. Sword of the Spirit. The only offensive piece of armor or weaponry that you have there. His word by the Spirit in your mouth. Does it say, pray for victory? It doesn't say, pray for victory. It does mention prayer later on. But it doesn't say pray for yourself, for victory. It says stand. It says put on the full armor of God. It doesn't say pray for victory. 
Hallelujah. Someone's going to get this. I can tell. I can. I sense it in my spirit. Someone is getting something here right now. You don't pray for victory. Jesus already got the victory for you. You stand in the victory. You stand in the victory by standing in the truth of that victory. Righteousness. You stand in salvation. You stand in the gospel. You stand in what he has done for you. What he has done for you. You stand in the reality of a right standing with the Father. You stand in the truth that his blood has been shed on your behalf and he has made you holy. He has made you right with himself. He has chosen you. You stand in the truth. That's what you stand in. How do you get strong? You stand in the truth of what he has done for you so that the devil can't trick you and beat you out of it. When you stand in truth, you're going to put down your flesh pretty easily. When you live in the reality of what he has done for us. And it's not on your own strength. It's nothing because of how great or wonderful or smart you are, as you may be. But it's not based on that. It's based everything on what he has done for you. That battle's already won. You just need to stand and take your place in the victory. Amen. It's not a matter of praying for victory. So the Israelites were standing in the valley. And Goliath was shouting at them, taunting them. And they were frozen because of fear. Right? Send us out one person to challenge. And you know the story, right? David goes out there. He didn't say, I come at you with my slingshot and my staff because I'm highly skilled in spiritual warfare. Because I'm super Christian. I don't think he actually said anything about himself other than I come at you in the name of the Lord God whom you have defied. David was strong in the Lord. You really think he was counting on his skill to sling the slingshot or you really think he was counting on that against a 12-foot giant, seasoned veteran warrior? No. He was counting on the name of the Lord to deliver him. And you know the story. He won. Cut off Goliath's head. And then all the rest of Israel just said, oh, that's great, wonderful, thanks. No? What did they do? They rose up. When they saw the victory that David got for them, they rose up and took 
took their place in that victory and drove out those little Philistines. Likewise with you. When you see the victory that your Lord has won for you, you will rise up in that victory and stand in it and drive out all those little fleshy habits and tricks of the enemy out of your life. The key isn't trying to drive out the Philistines. The key is standing in the victory that David got for you, that Jesus, son of David, got for you. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. So let me give you a couple things here. Hallelujah. Number one, be strong in the Lord. So simple. Oh, hallelujah. Be strong in him. Remember my accountant example with Pastor Neil? Well, you're strong in the one who is victorious over everything. You're strong in the righteous one. You're strong in the holy one. You're strong in the healer, the deliverer. Hallelujah. You're strong in the one that came and pursued you when you knew nothing of him. You're strong in the good shepherd. And we can go on. That is the one who you are strong in, in him. Hallelujah. Number two, know, speak, and live in the truth. I mean, no person willingly believes a lie. You think, well, some people do. They believe that believing a lie is going to benefit them somehow. No person willingly believes a lie knowing that it's a lie, except if they think it's going to benefit them somehow. Walk in the truth. It will protect you from all lies. You must honor the truth above your own opinion. Above your own preferences if you're ever going to walk in it. Otherwise, the truth is according to your understanding. And there's no victory in that. You need to know the truth. You need to speak the truth. And you need to live in the truth. It must have place in your life. It will protect you from the lies of the enemy. Okay. Walk and pray in the spirit and resist your flesh. If you want to be strong in the Lord, if you want to have victory in your life, you need to walk in the spirit. The Bible says if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There's such a key to victory there. Right in that one little statement, in your Bible, a key to having victory over all the nasty appetites of the flesh, just walk in the spirit. It doesn't say fight your flesh. It says, walk in the Spirit. And for the sake of time, I can't get much more into that today. But the Spirit of the Lord, who is in you, 
will help you. After all, if the enemy comes in like a flood against your flesh, the Spirit of God who is in you will raise up a standard against him. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We know these verses, right? Amen. Walk and pray in the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, it gives you strength. It builds you. It edifies you, makes you stronger. It gives you the ability to walk in truth, to walk with the Lord, to live in a way that pleases Him. All right, number four. You think, how does this fit? I'll talk to you about it in a minute. Pray for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. How does that make me stronger? Because it gets your eyes off of you. Living water. Hallelujah. Thank you. It's okay. Thanks. Pray for your brothers and sisters. How does that make me stronger? Because if you've encountered any victory at all, you want your brothers and sisters in the Lord to have that. You're praying on their behalf because maybe there's something that they don't see that they need to see. And your prayer, praying, prayering for them helps you get stronger. And it's mostly because it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with love for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Anyways, there's much more to get into, but for the sake of time today, we cannot. All right. So, how many of you... Know that you have the victory in the Lord. Yes, you do. How many of you feel like you've got some things this morning that will help you stand stronger? That will help you? I know that you have. Here's what I want to see. I want to see each and every one of you rise up. And not let the enemy push you around and trick you around and shadow box anymore. I want every one of you to be solid and strong in the Lord. Persevering. The kind that is unflinching when hardship comes along. In fact, a little part of you rejoices when hardship comes along. Because it's an opportunity for you to show how strong your God is again. I believe all of us can be that army of the Lord that we are to be. I believe all of us can stand in that place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that our Lord and God, by the Holy Spirit, is doing that in you right now. I believe that you are not the kind of people that will just roll over when something adverse comes your way. And you think to yourself, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can. And you need not think that way because your strength is in Him. In fact, even if you find yourself weak, rejoice for the Lord is your strength. Even if you find yourself weak or not knowing, rejoice for the Lord is your strength. You cannot fail. You cannot fall when the Lord is your strength.
Hallelujah. And all it takes is a yes from you. That's all it takes. Let's worship the Lord a little bit. I believe Shlaine has a song for us. Let's worship the Lord. And in your heart, I want you to tell the Lord, yes. Lord, you are my strength. You are my shield. And I will be strong in you. I think some of you need to give the devil notice and tell him you have no ground in me anymore. You need to make a stand this morning. And you need to declare that I will no longer give place to the enemy. He will have no place in my life. I will not yield to the flesh. I will not yield to bad habits. I will be strong in the Lord. Who's ready to do that? All right, you ready to confess that? Follow me in prayer. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you. For the victory that Jesus has gotten for me. For the victory that Jesus has gotten for me. And I will honor the blood that was shed. And I will honor the blood that was shed. By taking my place. By taking my place. In his victory. In his victory. And I give notice. And I give notice. That the devil has no place in me. That the devil has no place in me. He has no right to me. He has no right to me. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Satan, take your hands off of me. Satan, take your hands off of me. I am healed. I am healed. I am whole. I am whole. I am free. I am free. I am saved. I am saved. I am delivered. I am delivered. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you believe that, praise God. Give him a shout. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3W3B1.